Hi. All of y'all know me, so I ain't got to reintroduce myself. Um, let's see. First, I want to say um, I count it a privilege. I'm very glad to be back. Um, I know I've been gone for a couple months. Um, with that being said, uh, back in like February, um, I slowly started to like backslide. Um, first, it didn't start with like actions. It, it more started like within like my heart, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I just started to slowly, you know, digress to whatever from the things of God. And with that being said, I, you know, did some things with, in retrospect, it ended with me being disciplined and put out of church um, for three months. So um, fast forward after that, probably a month after that, um, I met a friend named Robert um, and you know how that goes, you know, uh, we started doing some ungodly things, but at one point in our lives, we stopped and we was like, you know, we really want to serve God. We knew that, you know, God was trying to get our attention and me, you know, me knowing God and me knowing church, it was a sense of like, God isn't going to keep trying to grab your attention. It's either you want it or you don't. And um, I knew it was coming to a point where God was like, I have a plan for you, you know, I have these amazing things for you, you know, you need to make your decision now. And I did, you know, we talked and we talked with my mom and my dad and along with pastor's approval, <laughs> pastor's approval, um, he graciously, you know, let me come back to church and let Robert come to church and we're here. Um, and I can say like ever since that decision, you know, of us like stopping all the things that we were doing, um, God has really done like miraculous, miraculous things in our lives. Like we really just sat back and was like, that's not just luck, you know, that that was God, you know. And I want to thank Pastor Mitchell, you know, for letting me be able to come back and thank my parents, specifically my parents for all the talks that we had <laughs> in my teen years from 13 to 21 because <laughs> um, <clears throat> they they really played an important part in that when I was out you know it was just so many talks it was just going through my head it was just like you know your mom and dad talked about this when you're younger you know they were like when you turn 21 you know things are it's not you know you're, you're an adult now you know you got to make a decision you're not just hanging on by our coattail and so yeah we're here and you know we're ready to see what God has in store for us like he's already blessing us now you know, and we only made one small decision to really give up everything and just serve him, and he's already blessing us. So we're really excited for what God has in store. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Test one, two. Got this thing on? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Appreciate the opportunity to preach this evening. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to First Kings uh, chapter 18. Verses 38 through 46. That's 1 Kings 18, 38 through 46. Hallelujah. I want to preach tonight a message that, that uh, God really changed from when I first wrote it. And then as Pastor Howard preached, Pastor Howard set me up perfectly for my sermon tonight. I had my, my message written, finished last week. And then Wednesday, here it is, he preaches, and it's like, oh, he, he just, this is breadcrumbs for me. I'm just going to follow the breadcrumbs, praise God. If you're taking notes, uh, the sermon's entitled, Prepare for Rain. You know, and so what I'm going to do tonight is draw a parallel between 
Israel in our text and United States and the state of many churches in America. In our text, what we're going to see, and this has occurred uh, before we get into our text, Israel is pulled between idolatry and Jehovah. Right before our text, in fact, the area that it takes place, Mount Carmel, we read that Elijah has a face-off with the prophets of Baal. They lose horribly. It's in their home turf because Baal was a storm god, a god of weather. And what does God do? He's already held back rain for three years. So there goes Baal. He's not a good god of weather, is he? God totally defeats the prophets of Baal. We're going to read the outcome of that. But Israel is going through this time of idolatry. And Elijah, before he calls down fire, before the altar is consumed, he says, why are you vacillating? If you want to worship Baal, fine, worship Baal. But if you want to worship Jehovah, then you need to worship Jehovah. He's calling them into commitment. And tonight I'm going to do the same thing. Not because I think that our church is filled with idolaters. But as our sister testified about backsliding, it's a subtle thing. It's not like, you know, one morning you're eating Captain Crunch, and then you drive to work, and all of a sudden, boom, you're backslid. It takes longer than that. Things that are unseen, maybe, that are lurking in there. You know, part of the church's mandate, the church of Jesus Christ, is to make a solid decision and to preach the full gospel that's found in the Word of God. And yet, what's so sad in our country and even throughout the world, there's some churches that preach sin and preach tolerance of sin. Things that even sinners, when I was growing up, would say, what in the world is that? That's horrid! That's wrong! And yet now... They have flags celebrating it. They're trying to make it the norm. We're living the normal life that the Bible says. That's the weird thing. Call us names like haters. Listen, that's not progress, beloved. That's regression and rebellion and apostasy. Churches that promote and practice and celebrate immorality. That's a sign of the end times and not a good sign. And so God uses Elijah to preach a message of repentance, to judge Israel with a draught, and exposes the powerlessness of the idolatrous Baal worship and bring revival to Israel. Tonight, I'm going to preach this because, listen, we're going to have revival next week. But revival shouldn't start just next week. We shouldn't wait till Sunday morning when we see Evangelist Johnson and we hear him and, okay, now I'm in revival. Now I'm going to be prepared for revival and receive from God. Why not start tonight? Why not start doing some things, some work, if you will, on ourselves, and so we're prepared for revival before it gets here. Be prepared ahead of time. Amen? Let's read 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 38. Bible says this, So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Uh, at your word, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people. 
may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and they executed them there. Verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. See, Ahab was fasting because he was hoping the prophets of Baal would win. Check it out. He doesn't repent in any of this. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees and said, to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked, and he said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass, the seventh time that he said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this day that you would cause us to have open hearts, open ears to your word. Father, I am asking you, God, that you would anoint the preaching of the gospel, that you would do spiritual surgery on your people, God, that you would prepare us for what you're going to do. Prepare us for this revival individually and corporately, and I thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to look at is rend your heart. It says in verse 39, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So what these people did is repentance. Now we here in this church, we hear a lot about the word repent and repentance. But for the sake of those who are a little bit rusty, have forgotten, or maybe knew, repent doesn't just mean saying, I'm sorry, God, you caught me. Right? Like a kid in the cookie jar. They're not sorry for stealing five cookies unless you catch them with a hand in the cookie. And they're like, I'm sorry. No, they're not. They're sorry they got busted. They're sorry they got... There's no remorse. They'll do it again if you give them a chance. We're like that sometimes, aren't we? We're not filled with godly sorrow. We're just sorry. Because we got caught. Because we feel bad. Because life entrapped us. Because we got busted by our own mistakes. Right? We get found out. Oh, now I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah, you're just sorry. But repentance means you turn away from that sin and you walk away from it. Not you turn around. Oh, cookies. No. You turn around and you go away from the cookies. You go away from that sin. You don't go back to it. Heard it said one time in a, one of my favorite rap groups back in the 80s, Transformation Crusade. They have a, a verse, a line in rap says, getting saved, that's when you give your life to Jesus and don't want it back. That's repentance. So that's what these people in this text have done. Now, they had to get busted, right? They saw how powerful God was. Burned up the offering. Burned up the stone. Burned up the dust. I've never seen dust burn up. 
But God can burn up dust. Nothing is left at all. While their God did nothing, and of course the people do the sensible thing, as would anyone with any lick of common sense, is they repent. Lord, you are God. They're saying, God, you are the only God. While they were vacillating before between Baal worship and Asher worship and Jehovah, they said, no, 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 no. Jehovah, you are the only God. And it's interesting what Elijah, Elijah tells them to do. We're going to look at it a little bit differently. See, when you repent, it's not about you having bald-headed religion. You may know a lot of things and hear a lot of things that are religious, a lot of religious knowledge you've accumulated, and you can look at people, you hear in a sermon, oh yeah, I sure hope, oh, that, that's going to help that person. Hope that helps brother, sister, so-and-so. Hope that helps my husband and wife. But you know what we really need to do when we repent, especially in a revival? Is you draw a circle around yourself first and say, God, I need to get, I need to hear that. I need you to deal with me about these things. If you will do that with an honest heart, God can do a miracle and change you and renew you. But the danger is this, beloved. If you fail to do that, and I've seen this happen in services. I've seen this happen, unfortunately, many times in revivals. Where there is unresolved sin and it skews the ability of a person to heal. It's almost like it stops up your ears or it warps what is being said, and you don't see the word of God clearly, and you've lost the capacity to put yourself within it. You don't make a connection with what is being preached and you. It's nice information, makes you feel good, but it really doesn't affect you because of sin. You know, why wait until the preacher catches you in your sin before you repent? I was discussing with a young man Sunday night, talking about this a little bit. And so I asked him, I said, when's the best time to repent of sin? He was thinking a little bit, thinking. I said, why not when the Holy Spirit convicts you? Why wait until an older brother or sister, an authority figure, comes near you, calls you out? Why wait till it's a church service, right? And then repent. What if you die before that happens? Huh? What if you par what if you you are rendered in a state where you can't think? Oh, God will knows my heart. Yes, he does, and that's scary. That's terrifying because our hearts can deceive us. Don't make it a competition between the preacher and you. Well, if he calls out my specific issue, then I will get saved. That means you already know the sin. You already know the issue. Why wait? Why wait? Things that you're struggling with. We don't say it that way, do we? Well, the Lord dealt with me. How many times have I been dealing with you? Listen, this is not Las Vegas, and he's not playing with cards. If God had convicted you, even a little bit about areas you're not right with, why not get right now? Why not get right instantly, ahead of time, so you can receive the Word of God during the revival with joy rather than sorrow? Amen? How many of you, when you hear revival, especially from, from preachers you know that are like on fire, Holy Ghost preachers, and rather than joy, dread fills your heart? Because you know they're right. You, you don't want them to give you a word. Huh? They might be reading your mail. That God has... Right? 
I want to wear, I want to wear. I've had people, no, I don't want to wear. <laughs> Sit at the back. They're not reading their Bible, they're hiding. Doesn't have to be that way. Listen, receiving all that you can during a revival is often contingent upon repentance, the condition of your heart. Revival itself, what it means is coming to life again. That means there should be things or there's things that were in your life that have died, that have become dry, and you need to have life restored. Revivification in those areas. It may be joy. It may be zeal. It may be faith. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's just the hope that you can change and God can change you. That He's a destiny for you. Amen? That he loves you. What about a restoration of expectancy and peace? All of this can happen during revival if you would simply do something the Bible counsels us to do. In Joel 2.13, the prophet says, So rend your heart and not your garments. What is he talking about? Back then when they would, have a, they would have a sign when they were repentant or mourning as they would put ash in their hair and they would rip their clothes. There was an outward sign. They would fast and they would appear on purpose to look at their going through it. And so someone would say, well, what's happening to you? Oh, I'm repenting of my sin. God's doing this. Someone did. That's just a show on the outside. The prophet says later with that, don't rend your garments and be filthy in your heart. Your heart's still selfish and wicked. Rend your heart and not your garments. So, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God because He is gracious and merciful, slow to show anger, and of great kindness He relents from doing harm. Listen, that's what God wants to do. But if you refuse to repent, He can't. And he won't because he's a righteous judge. Amen? God is calling for some lasting internal change that has to occur and that is repentance. You have to judge yourself as wrong. No matter how you feel, if God's word says you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't argue. Don't try to, but, the, but God, but, 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 no, 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 no buts. You're wrong. I'm wrong. Amen? There has to be a change of mind Followed by immediate action. In our text in verse 40, Elijah said to the people who have just repented and claimed verbally that God is the only God, See, as the prophets of Baal do not let even one of them escape, so they seized them. There was immediate action. Not only did they seize them, but they didn't tie them up and wrap their knuckles with a ruler and say, You bad, bad, bad people. You know idolatry is wrong. They killed them. Dead. Dead. Folks in hell right now. Those guys. Yeah. Now I'm not saying go kill somebody. Alright, I'm not saying that. We have to kill the old man. That's what we got to do. Amen. There needs to be an immediate action on your part and my part and knocking off the thing that we know is wrong. Stopping bad attitudes that are sinful and that we know are wrong. Places where we've transgressed. In other words, God has put up a no trespassing sign on things in our life, and yet we want to, you know, jump over the fence all the time and get away scot-free, untouched, unscathed. God said, no, you need to put up that sign, and, and you stay on the other side of the sign. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul speaks, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
he is talking to a church that has failed to judge immorality. There's incest happening with one of the members there, and they just pretended like it was okay. Nothing's wrong. Paul says, you need to judge that because that thing is going to spread. Yeah, it's only one person, but you're allowing that. What else are you going to allow? And we see that in our society, don't we? Years ago, oh, what's wrong with homo marriage? It's not that bad. Tell you what, they went crazy. There's things I've read that they want to institute that you would never imagine. But people, oh, to each his own. No, 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 not to each his own. Sin is sin. And here's the thing about that particular kind of sin, that particular kind of sexual morality. It is violent. And it demands that you bow down to it, and you worship it, and you change your life to accept it, or else. Oh, but that's tolerance. No, that's not tolerance. That's foul. It should not be done or uttered or imagined or entertained by anyone who's the names themselves the name of God. No one. No Christian should be doing that. I am not hating the people who sin. I'm hating the sin. Because we should hate what God hates and love what God loves. You know, it is so important that we are not the avenue the devil would use to pollute the church. Because that can prevent all that God would like to do in a revival. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? Clean the inside of the cup, not just the outside. Listen, don't be the source of leaven that hinders or curses rather than blesses the church. Another part of revival is not just the sick, excuse me, the saints getting right, but also it's a ministry to the lost. Luke 14, 23, Jesus speaks about the parable of the Great Supper, and he says, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be filled. You know what part of revival? We need to fill this house. Amen? Whether it's on outreach or personally speaking to someone, part of revival is that the lost, the backslid, are coming here and being saved, and we need to get them here. Amen? Jesus wants to do miracles to redeem and heal and deliver, but the lost need to be in the right church with the right assembly. Those who have faith so they can be touched. Because they're living a dry life, and if they die, they're going to hell. Amen? Second thing I want to look at is the sound of rain. In verse 41 of our text, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Can you imagine three years drought, not a drop of rain? I've been to some dry places. I went to basic training in, in AIT when I was in the Army in El Paso, Texas. And they have signs there, you know, three miles from hell with a 5,000 miles from water with a skull of a dried up steer right there, you know, to welcome you. I remember getting rebuked and yelled at by a drill sergeant wannabe. Wasn't a drill sergeant yet. Because I took a short cross, cut across from a sidewalk over some gravel to go to another building. And the guy went nuts. Get off my grass! Get off my grass! Get off my... I'm looking around. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing green. Not even me because I was in the banana yellow PT things. They didn't give us the BDUs yet. There was nothing green. Dry place. Horribly dry. You sweat and salt would come on your clothes and your boots in powder form. Dry. Our sister Joy was sharing with my wife and I when she came back from Kuwait. 
how she loved the rain, how refreshing it was. It was amazing, she said. Can you imagine three years? Three years, stuff dying, crops dying, not a drop of water, no cloud in the sky. And here it is, Elijah prays, sends the man out there repeatedly to see a cloud. This is the side of a fist, size of a fist. And he comes back excited. Hey, there's a cloud there. It's only this big, but it's a cloud. And that leads to rain, refreshing. Amen. Jesus speaks in John 4 to the woman at the well. He says, listen, I have living water that I'll give you. And if you drink of this, you will never thirst again. Listen, Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the living Word. And what do we receive in a revival? The living Word of God preached to us so that we might have a dry area in our life, a desert area in our life that hasn't been touched by God in a long time and no one knows it but you. Now could be your time where God reigns upon you, but it happens through His Word. And when He reigns, here's the thing, we have to choose to drink. He could give you, a, he could have a tanker truck coming with water, but if you don't open your mouth and partake, you're not going to get any water. And the way we listen in a revival in any service is key. We can learn and be touched by God by li listen. Listening is different than hearing noise. We have all done it. Let's be honest. When your mom and dad spoke to you and you didn't want to hear it, we all have that ability to turn it off, let it go in one ear, out the other, right? You hear noise. It's like the Charlie Brown teacher, right? And we can come to revival, and that's what we hear. Because we've already decided in our heart, oh, I've heard this before. Right? God's trying to speak. People around you saying how awesome revival is, you're going, I don't get it. It wasn't that good to me. Because all you heard, because that's you weren't you weren't hearing you were hearing noise, but you weren't listening with your heart. You weren't listening open to receive what God would say. There's a practice called active listening. Now, this is normally when it's you're talking to another person one on one, but we can apply the same truths when we're listening to a sermon. It says active listening is a practice of preparing to listen. It means you're, you're observing what verbal and non-verbal message are being sent and providing appropriate feedback. There's appropriate feedback if you're actually listening to the Word of God. It's applying it. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's benefits from revival that only happen to those who practice active listening. Amen? You have to listen with an expectancy. God! I am looking forward for you to speak to me. If there's, can I find myself in the text, the scripture? Can I find myself in what the preacher is saying? Even if I don't like it. Even if I don't want to hear it, but I need to. Amen? The best friend you can have is not the person who tells you everything you want to hear and agrees with you. It's the person that challenges you and pokes you. Iron sharpening iron means there's some friction going on. Things of you are popping off that you don't want to pop off. But they make you sharp. They burn off the rust. Amen? That happens when you listen with an expectancy 
and look for God to speak to you. It means you hear with faith. You have to mix what you hear with faith. If you hear that, listen, God can heal you in need of hearing, you have to have some faith to mix it. Yes, God can heal me. The devil comes and says, well, he hasn't in the past that much, has he? Ah, I'm not listening to that. You listen and mix with faith what you hear, even if you're challenged in a way that is uncomfortable and, and brings you outside of a comfort zone. Amen? Here it is, Elijah prays and he has faith that God will answer his prayer. Otherwise, why would he send the guy out repeatedly? Is Elijah just playing tricks with his little disciple there? Go again. Go again. Can you imagine this guy? I mean, again, it hasn't rained yet. It's dry. It's hot. All the water was used on the sacrifice. He's there praying. Go again. <sighs> nope. Seven times. Isn't God good? Seven times. Number of completion of God's work. God's number. You know, some people, it's easy to let our faith be sapped away and, and it causes us to not hear with faith and mix it with faith. But we need to, to allow even small miracles to spur our faith. Maybe you don't get healed 100%, but you get healed 20%. That's still a miracle, right? Why not accept that? I'm not saying settle, but why not accept that as a miracle and say, oh, God didn't do nothing. Amen. How many people get discouraged rather than encouraged? Maybe you've been prayed for to receive the Holy Ghost repeatedly and nothing's happened. You open your mouth and only a yawn escapes. Listen, don't quit believing. Especially when you've had that experience and you can feel the Holy Spirit doing something, but nothing happens. What will you expect? Don't give up. I've heard tell people taking six months, all the while God working on the inside of them, dealing with them. And then they get to a point where, boom, the Holy Spirit fills them. Evidence speaking tongues, and they haven't stopped since. Like Elijah's servant, we have to keep looking with faith. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened. For anyone who, who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. He who knocks, the door will be opened. The other part of hearing God's word is you have to accept God's truth as the truth. Not a version of truth. The only truth. Truth, because the Word of God is a mirror the Holy Spirit will use to show you who you really are. All the facades knocked off. All the parts of commission, stuff you do that you shouldn't do. Is there maybe a challenge that's going to be presented before us as a church body or even individually? Then we need to answer to the challenge and rise to the challenge because that is the truth of God. Because when you accept God's truth, this is what happens, beloved, is vision is restored and opened up to you as never before. Revelation, confirmation. How many of you have been struggling with things? You're not quite sure whether it is certainly God or not, or just your emotions. And then you're praying and praying, and God causes the preacher to say something, a word from the Bible, and you know that that is a thing that confirms what you've been struggling with and seeking. That only happens if you, God knows you'll accept His truth as the truth. You can be encouraged by it. 
It's like a rainfall in a dry place of your life, and it only happens when you hear God's word, accept it as the truth, mix it with faith, and apply it to your life. Hebrews 4.12, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? It was not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Got to mix it with faith, beloved. Last thing I want to look at is gird up and run. It says in verse 46, Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, I don't know if you've read this and looked at maps, but this is awesome. God turned Elijah into a race car driver. Ahab is on a chariot. You look at a map, okay? My Carmel is in the north. East, or excuse me, northwest part of Israel, near the ocean, near the Mediterranean Sea. And he's going to run 25 kilometers, which is equal to about 17.5 miles. Ahab's on his chariot, he's going, get going, whatever. And all of a sudden, he hears this. Shroom. Bible says Elijah outran him. We don't know how many horses or even one horse, but he outran him to Jezreel. Why did he go there? Good question. Because Elijah wasn't finished. You thought just burning up all that stuff and killing 400 prophets was enough. He wasn't finished. He had work to do. But for him to do that work, he had to gird up his loins and run. Strength and wisdom comes as you and I will gird up our loins, the loins of our mind, the Bible says, and run. That means to get ready for action. Remember, they wore robes back then. Not really conducive for running or physical activity, is it? So he had to roll them up, tie them up, tuck them in his belt, and run to prepare for action, to prepare for battle, to do what he needed to do. See, Elijah had to finish the work. But he couldn't be tripped up by things. How many things in life we're tripped up by? We come into a revival, we hear the truth of God, we apply it, but we haven't girded ourselves up. We've been said, yeah, I'm going to take those things, I'm going to apply them, I'm going to use them for the challenge that God has for me. And when we don't do that, what happens? The same old thing we fall on our face on. The same old sin that so easily besets us, it says in Hebrews. Things we know, it's not a mystery. Other people might even be able to pick them out. But we are kind of like, oh, what are you talking about? You know? We have to gird up and then we get strength and wisdom. Here it is, Elijah is going to Jezreel because this is a residence. This is a place that has a residence where Ahab and Jezebel lived. And oh, not only them, but the other 400 prophets of Asherah that didn't show up at Mount Carmel, they needed to be killed too. Now, I don't know why, but Elijah gets there, and we read in uh, chapter 19 that Ahab, I guess he waits for Ahab. I don't know if he's trying to assemble people or what. I tried to search in commentaries to find, didn't find stuff, but whatever the case, Ahab gets to tell Jezebel about this beforehand. Before revival can break out, before the te- pagan temple of Asher there can be destroyed, before the prophets can be destroyed. Jezebel sends a message to Elijah and terrifies him. He runs away. You know, what you and I have to do is we have to gather the God-given strength that's gained through revival, apply it to our lives. We have to complete the work of God that he has for us before the devil tries to threaten us. 
And then we have a challenge to face, don't we? Matthew 7.24 says, Therefore, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I would like him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You know, wisdom is not the accumulation of trivia or knowledge. The ability to spin out facts of things you've heard. It's the application of God's truth that you've heard and applied to your life. That's wisdom. Seeing things from God's point of view and living skillfully according to the Bible. See, what happens, revival happens in your life. And, and listen, is not supposed to be a flash in the pan. How many times have we seen that? Someone's doing good in revival. And then the next Monday, where are they? You might see that person, but they're not the same person that got revived in revival. And that's what happens sometimes. We're in revival. God's doing awesome things. And the, do- the devil is waiting outside. He's going, I'll give you this revival. I don't care if you go to church. I just don't want you to change and stay changed. So what does he do? He sends a messenger. It could be a person. It could be just a blast of fear in your mind. And says, don't you dare do that. Because if you do, I will kill you. I know you think you got called to preach in the revival. But if you try to do that, I will kill your kids. I will destroy your marriage. I will take out your job. I will do everything you fear. And then we have a challenge, don't we? Are we going to continue in that strength that God has given us in a revival? In a service, perhaps, even. Or are we going to run for the hills? You want, if you look at the map again in the Bible, you know where Elisha ran to? All the way down to the southern part of Israel. And then what does God do? He says, hey, uh, what are you doing here? I'm going to take care of you, but not here. You need to go up to this river that's all the way back up north. And then after that, I got some more running for you, Elijah. Elijah, you need to go to see a widow who's further north, and she'll feed you. But what happens? What would have happened if Elijah refused to run? He wouldn't have entered into depression. He could have continued in that strength and the victory. Maybe the people in Jezreel would have heard his word, repented, and risen up. But he didn't. Listen, we're earthen vessels, beloved. And the only thing that seals those cracks and heals those cracked parts of our lives is constantly applying the truth of God's word to allow him to detect and tell us about those cracks, to heal them and seal them and applying his word and facing those challenges. To be where God is. To where He's moving. He's not moving when you're running away. Away from Him. Away from the will He has for you. Amen? Revival comes from the Word of God. Let the preaching of His Word live in you beyond the sermon. Listen, it is crucial. That's why daily Bible reading. you got to do it daily. Quality. Challenge yourself. Get something out of it. Get a notebook and write down stuff that you learned that God has spoken to you. The brain forgets, the pen remembers forever. Or app or whatever you use. I'm old school. Listen, let revivals be landmarks and reference points for for you individually and us corporately as a church, as an assembly. How many of you even... Uh, perhaps before this service in fellowships, uh, you spoke with other people about past revivals. 
Maybe even Pastor Viles with Evangelist Johnson. Oh man, I remember last year he did this, he saved people, this and that. And you're encouraging yourself. And you're, well, you know what? He can do even more. He's not done yet. That's what revivals are supposed to do. Amen? Times where God broke through and times you received miracle healing. It's all for a reason. Amen? Listen, God's going to do amazing things. Don't listen to hell's message. Amen? Let God's word touch you. You know, the first and most important revival to read about in the Bible is in Acts 2. And I'm closing. Here it is, starts with the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. And those filled that day had an impact on all of Jerusalem. Whole city knew something was going on. That God was doing something. And it sparked a growth in the birth of the church. And it continues to this day, even in here. We are recipients of that first revival. We're living in the last days. And God's not done yet. We might be living in the 59th second of the 59th minute. But until Jesus comes back in the rapture, we need to be here ready, prepared for what God will do. Because He can do more than a minute than we can do in seven days. The key is, we have to be right with Him. So listen, if you're not right, get right. If God's convicted you, get right now. Tonight. Don't wait. Don't wait. Amen? Because listen, honestly, as a preacher, I don't know everyone's sin or issues. Unless you told me, I don't know. Unless God's told me, I don't know. So it's not a contest between who is preaching and you. It's a contest between you and the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? Give in to Him. Get right and stay right. Listen, living for Jesus is not a Sunday to Sunday thing. God don't care about your title. God don't care about the religious folks you know. He don't care if everyone in your family is a preacher. If you're not saved, you're going to bust hell wide open. Living for Jesus a daily walk of faith and obedience, and it requires repentance. Amen? And listen, it is crucial that we gather people that need to get saved. Why would we work and pray so hard just not to do that? That makes no sense. Our job is to deliver God's message to those who receive it. And as Pastor Howard preaches gently, it is not up to us to save people. Pressure is not on us. It's us to deliver the mail, the message of the gospel. Look, I was like you. If I could be saved, you could be saved. Come here, over here, and get saved. Amen? Get people out. Last, if you want to get the most out of revival, come faithfully to every service. Don't come up with an excuse why you should stay home. I can always stream it. Not the same dynamic and you will miss out. That's the truth. Don't be lazy. What if God has a word for you? He's not going to give it to you on the app. If you're here, he will. Listen actively and be ready to receive the truth of God. Mix it with faith. Apply it to your life and then make it part of your life from then on. That's all I have. Let's bow our head. Close our eyes.